Lectionary Lab Live is recorded by Two Bubbas and a Bible, live in Gainesville, Florida, and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. <laughs> hey, man. Always good to hear from you and to get up with you as we talk a few texts, think about preaching. We're preparing today for the fifth Sunday of Easter. These are the texts for May the 7th, 2023. Good stuff. couple of interesting uh, ideas today. We'll uh, uh, see what we're going to do with Stephen. And uh, we have been tripping right along with Peter. That's been a nice companion to uh, uh, our texts throughout. little semi-continuous work. And then uh, perhaps one of the most controversial statements in John's gospel, but some nice imaging going on here as we get to that. So anyhow, looking forward to it. Tell us what you got on your mind today as we do get ready to preach upcoming. Yes. Yes. Well, Ron, as you, when you mentioned first Peter, I was thinking, well, it, it, what I really like about the Peter text is mm-hmm. if you think in terms of uh, the season of Easter is about the, the implications and the, the life of the church in the re, with the mm-hmm. resurrected Christ, mm-hmm. then Peter's baptismal instructions are a good way to go. What does it mean yeah. to be a Christian? He's trying to tell these new converts. What does it mean to be a Christian? And right. that's good stuff. So for me, um, the overall theme for today, you know, I like to find those sometimes, something that a thread that holds the text together. Most of the time, you can find that thread going through the gospel and the first reading in the psalm because that's mm-hmm. how they're picked. Right now, they're not necessarily picked that way, but there's still an overall theme running through because uh, if you, we're using the first lesson from Acts. So mm-hmm. to me today, there's an overall theme of in the midst of trouble, trust God in Christ. Or, you know, if you left out some. It's say, in the midst of trouble, trust Jesus. Mm, that'd work. In the midst of trouble, trust Jesus as a theme. And look, look at Acts. You've got the stoning of Stephen. And uh, in the midst of verse 79, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Mm-hmm. In Psalm, uh, verse 31, 5, into your hands I commend my spirit. Mm-hmm. And that is both um, where Peter is remembering that, perhaps, or and also echoing Jesus on the cross. And we'll come back to that oh, echoing yeah. in Acts. First mm-hmm. Peter two two through ten two four. Come to Him, who is your living stone, in the midst of this discussion of rejection and various things. Come to Him. Right. And John fourteen one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. No worry about it. Mm. Promise of presence and protection, I think. So if you want to build an overall theme, read all four texts like many of us do in the liturgical traditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You might build, take one text as the core, uh, but 
know that throughout you've got support for a theme of mm-hmm. in the midst of trouble. Yeah. Trust God. It reminds me of your good old Lester, Lester Mills. Can God be trusted? Well, it is. And uh, that particularly, and several other places here, there's a really nice dialectic going on, an opportunity yeah. to say, well, there's this and there's that. There's, you know, there's trouble and, and then there's trust. And yeah. uh, so that's, to me, is always a nice thing. I often talk about the tool belt, you know, yeah. you, you, you got in your tool belt. This is a nice one to pick up here and uh, for this week and say, well, we're going to, some people might call it compare and contrast, uh, whatever. But the tension that lies between the trouble we're in and the trust we're called yeah. to have in God is fertile ground, I believe. Yeah. There's a, a, a secondary theme, I think, runs at least through uh, the New Testament, the Christian scriptures we have for today. It can be picked up, uh, supplemented a little from the psalm, but not directly, mm-hmm. is what I call the imitation of Christ. Thomas Akempis mm-hmm. uh, famously wrote a book about that, but I think the theme runs throughout uh, these lessons in the post-resurrection Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And that between mm-hmm. risen and come again, how do we then live? Yeah. And uh, there's an imitation of Christ running through, particularly Luke, and as he segues from Luke to Luke Acts, in Acts, the early apostles and early martyrs, he shows a direct pattern of imitating Christ, both mm-hmm. in life and in death. Uh, as a crucifixion and you'll see that over and over as he he doesn't say it directly he alludes and i'll go right through that as we look at acts in in acts how is stephen like christ and how do we imitate stephen in imitating christ Hmm. uh peter you know there's the christ is rejected believers are rejected people um Christ is a living stone, and we pulls us together as living stones, as a living right. temple. Mm-hmm. So there's that implication. And then John, um, the text, John, John um, 14, 11, and 12, you will do the work, even greater works than these. Yeah. Um, so that's two. And the third, I, I've been thinking, and this just is a, uh, Tying Peter and Acts together, perhaps, and and thinking about playing with the word stoned and living stones. You a brave, you a brave pulpiteer, Bubba. <laughs> Going to walk up there talking about being, being stoned. stoned. Stephen was stoned, and we are living stones. And I, I, just, I I haven't figured it out. Mm-hmm. I'm just playing with that image, and I think there's a way to play with that image in terms of the rejection mm-hmm. and the building a temple. Yeah. And what does it mean to be what does it mean yeah. to be a temple and what does it mean to be the place where the risen Christ lives? Yeah. Where the yeah. presence of God is. I mean the temple was the presence of God and those two things tie together between Acts and Peter because just before this, what really got people mad I'm segueing into Acts now, mm-hmm. you know. What really got people mad was at the end of his sermon when he talks about Solomon making mistake building the temple. Yeah, yeah. And that God can't be contained 
in a building built with stones. Mm-hmm. And though they stoned him, and then you get this Peter text about Jesus being the cornerstone that was rejected, and they're building a spiritual mm-hmm. home, a temple, a place where God is present, is what a temple is. And this rebuilding of the temple as the presence of God in the world, yeah, which is through us, the church. So mm-hmm. just fascinated with that whole imagery. Well, there's another there's another option for working yeah. through it. Yeah. So Acts seven fifty five through sixty uh, is what happens when Peter preaches. Uh, at one point, I think when, if I had been Peter and I was there and all these stones were flying, I'd say, wait, wait, wait a minute, God. I I thought you said bussing tables. You know, they need somebody to wait on tables. That's a deacon. So mm-hmm. how'd I end up here? <laughs> <laughs> and just... Just a momentary thing. I'm just being a bubba here. This ain't nothing but a thing. We're talking about Stephen, not what Peter. Yeah, Peter. Oh, sorry. My bad. We're good. It's I'm all good. I'm 69 years old and every once in a while the wrong <laughs> name. I call my do- children by the dog's name. So yeah. anyway. Yeah, I used Stephen. to laugh at my grandmother, you know, when she'd start running the list of all, all yeah. my all the cousins, you right. know. Right. And finally she, yeah. I don't I'm laugh anymore. Right Stephen. Anyway. So Stephen said, I didn't sign up for this. I'm, a, I'm supposed yeah. to be a deacon. Mm-hmm. And deacons are word and service, but you know, word and service, and so mm-hmm. it's preached. But what happened here is, in this, got to look back at the sermon and the rest of the first part of 7. Mm-hmm. He preached this sermon focuses on Moses and Jesus' parallels. And then he comes to this place where he talks about Solomon building the temple was being a mistake. And he said, and he also says, you destroyed the prophets. And it basically implies that God was found in the wilderness mm-hmm. and in the prophets. He is affirming the prophetic tradition and kind of casting, <laughs> casting shade, if not stones, <laughs> on the priestly tradition. Yeah. And it says in 754, they gritted their teeth. They were really angry. And so they began to stone Stephen. Now, there are interesting parallels to Jesus uh, and throughout this story, particularly to Jesus' uh, crucifixion. But it begins with the heavens opening. Uh, This is a parallel that we find at Jesus' baptism, the heavens open. And in his case, instead of the Spirit coming down and the Father speaking, Stephen looks up and sees God's glory and sees the Lord Jesus there. Um, they take him out of the city, verse 58, and, and of course they crucified Luke outside the city walls. I mean, crucified in Luke, they crucified Jesus outside the city walls. Um, he says... Um, Sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And what did, did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. <laughs> Father, forgive them. And he says, receive my spirit. And Jesus mm-hmm. said, into your hands I commend my spirit. So right. Luke is building these p- 
parallels as an encouragement to the early church years after what Stephen happened with Stephen, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. though we may be martyred, may be persecuted, we may suffer, we follow the trail that Jesus yeah. uh, blazed and bold witness, in the midst of bold witness, we also are called to trust God. Mm. And the question for us may be, you know, for our congregations is, how what kind of suffering do we have? And what kind of witness do we have in the midst of it? And what is our witness? What is important witness? Not just whining that we're not as privileged in this country as we used to be for American <laughs> Christians. Oh, mercy. Uh, what feels like oppression might just be a loss of privilege we never deserved. Mm. Cultural yeah. privilege is different than oppression. And yeah. who are those that are suffering and how are we called to stand with them? Right. I think an aside here is there was there was Saul who became Paul and they put their coats at his feet. Mm-hmm. That's a enigmatic kind of image. And the question for the church is, do we stand by yeah. and hold the coats of oppression? Hmm. It's an important question. I didn't do anything. I didn't throw any stones. Hmm. I didn't feel like it was my call to get engaged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a I rich, didn't, rich kind of text there. Yeah, I didn't vote for X candidate. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, we, we. I didn't do that. And I, I think that's a that is a powerful entree into something that bugs me more and more. And that is. Americans have always been known for our, quote, rugged individualism. Yeah. But in the midst of that, I can remember a time in the not-too-distant past where you still cared about your community. You cared about right. your nation. You cared about the greater good. Along with the other kinds of vitriol that, that fill our airwaves now and our political discussion and debate, or what passes for it, is this idea of, well, no, I, I don't care what happens to so-and-so. Those are not my kids. That's not my school system. That's not my so-and-so. Right. And where's the loss of a sense of community responsibility and community engagement? And so, yeah, that's uh, the stories like this are, I think, a powerful entree to things like that. I've got contrast with Stephen and and uh, Paul is the question as we stand: Do we witness or do we stand by, hmm. by out of fear? And what do we fear? Hmm. What is it we fear that keeps us from speaking out when we need to? Yeah. Absolutely. So great story. Then Psalm 31, 1 through 5 and 15 through 16. The overall Psalm is a Psalm that's pretty much is a pretty graphic description of human pain and misery. It's pretty nonspecific about what's happening. And our excerpts that we have uh, pretty much carry that pretty well. And um, the thrust connects both to both acts in terms of what happened with Stephen and the direct quotation. But also, I believe, really connects well with the John text because it's talking about what you trust as you anticipate or are in the midst of enemies and trouble. And mm-hmm. that's where the 
disciples are soon going to be, and that's who John's talking. To, uh, Jesus is talking to in John's gospel, right? And the opening, there's a kind of an opening statement, one through three, of trust in God's protection. Uh, a mighty fortress is our God, <laughs> refuge, mm. etc. That kind of language, and then there is a shift to reference to his particular current trouble. Those not quite specific. Um, it says, um, "My times are in your hands. In your, uh, deliver me from the hands of my enemies and persecutors. Mm-hmm. Take me out of the net that's hidden from me." That, that may be imagery about some non-specific thing, or it may be a particular thing. This person's feeling is weighing in wait. That's why it also refers over to the gospel as Jesus is waiting between, this is between the last meal he has with his disciples and before they go to the garden to pray. And he's saying, right. goodbye. He said, there's a net hidden for me. <laughs> you yeah. know, that reference is there. And it ends with 15 and 16. It skips over a long section in the psalm that's kind of over and over about what is my trouble and the tr- trouble and trust, I call that mm-hmm. section. Right. And it ends with a plea. Uh, my times are in your hands. <laughs> right. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies. Save me in your steadfast love. Right. Again, in the midst of trouble, trust God. And that's what the psalm echoes for us. I, I do, uh, we point out um, that verse 5, into my hands I commend my spirit. Mm-hmm. Very important text. We hear these again as we tell the Christian story. Right. Uh, and we heard it at uh, the crucifixion. Stephen, we hear it. It continues. Um, we still have a call to commit our spirits, if you will, our lives, all that we are, to, to whom are those committed, ultimately. It, it, it reminds us, again, that the Psalms were the, was the, the Jewish people's prayer book and our, our, the early church, the people who wrote mm-hmm. uh, what we call the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, were Jewish people who were deep. They knew these. Deep yeah. in that prayer book tradition. That's right. So 1 Peter 2, 2, 2 through 10 is a continuing part of what it looks like, a baptismal instruction to new converts as to what it means to be a Christian. Um, this has a series of images uh, that fit for what are new Christians, telling new Christians who they are. Yeah. Um, two, verses 2 and, and 3, uh, newbies. Newborn babies, newbies, mm-hmm. baby food, you know, eating baby food. Psalm mm-hmm. 34, uh, verse 3 is echoed in verse 3. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's uh, an image. We often use that line uh, as an invitation to the table for communion. That, that right. Invite mm-hmm. people for. Yeah. Um, verses four through eight, uh, living stones and temples of the Holy Spirit, imitation of Christ issues there. It's got that living stone rejected by mortals and precious in God's sight. So this is who Christ is. And you should come to, you know, we should come to that living stone. And then 
in verse five, mm-hmm. it says, like living stones. Right. You now like living stones. Let mm-hmm. yourself be built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. So he's using the image of the temple, but it's built by people, by the community into these living stones. It goes back and forth, quoting some scripture and the stone to build, etc., to buttress this argument, Hebrew scriptures. Mm-hmm. But the assessment is about being uh, living stones built into a temple. And then further, 9 and 10, we have some language about being a ro- holy or royal priesthood. He picks that back up. Right. What does it mean to be a priesthood? This is uh, Christians have taken this up as the priesthood of believers. We are a priesthood that we offer sacrifices, not the sacrifices in the temple, but the sacrifice of our lives. Right. What we do, not, not, uh, and yeah. it's beautifully done. This is who we are. This is what that we is. are. You're not just anybody off the street. You know, you are a royal priesthood. And one of the things that doesn't get picked up very often with nine and 10 mm-hmm. is it's an allusion to Hosea and Gomer's kids. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the kids that were named not pitied or without mercy. And yep. one was not my people. So you have this, you're God's own people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you get over in 10. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Yeah. Uh, again, the, the Christian scriptures writers were awash. They were very the much. Scriptures. That's right. They got both feet firmly planted in their uh, the tradition of the Tanakh. And uh, it just so happens I picked up recently and I'm working on a manuscript for uh, preaching through what was really called the 12. We call them the minor prophets. These little books, you know, that come in as my pastor in uh, my youth year said, the white pages of the Bible. (laughs) You know, we don't don't have many underlines and sermon notes out of Hosea or Obadiah or uh, Zephaniah, so on and so forth. And you're absolutely right. Hosea, uh, this is very deeply rooted in that completely immersive tale of what goes on with Hosea and God having him select a wife that he knows is going to be unfaithful and what happens uh, in, in uh, through that lo I mean not my people lo ruhamah no mercy and yet God transforms God it's a it's a once again the great reversal this is the, the something only God can do. It's a great story. So I'm trying to whip this out, this uh, manuscript of the, the, the 12, into a format that, if any of you are interested, uh, can be used during the summertime, the long season after Pentecost. If you find yourself saying, maybe I could step away from the lectionary for a bit. Maybe I could do a sermon that would be nice for, especially this season when people are kind of in and out of church and, you know, here you come and go. Uh, so I'm, I'm putting together some ideas for not only preaching from these uh, minor prophets, the 12, but options for the Christian education hour, uh, Sunday school hour, whatever you want to call it. So you might ring me up if that'd be something that's interested to you. Leave a comment on the on the uh, website here. Let us know. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to put it out. 
So that's the that's the advertisement from the free church contingent. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Delmer's going. Step out of the lectionary for twelve weeks. What? What? I could do that if I wanted to. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, this is where, I, uh, and as I was working with this text, is when I came to started thinking about playing with that stoned and stones, mm-hmm. and going from stoned to stones, and one mm-hmm. set off. It's an interesting image as we play with all of that, and that's that transition from not my people and not pitied to being God's people, and what does that mean? And as with last week, the question of what does abundant life mean doesn't mean that everything is great. Right. And being God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, doesn't necessarily mean we get to run the rule the roost. We don't get to have our own way, either as a community or as individuals. It means the imitation of Christ as a rejected stone. Yeah. That gets stoned, that cares for the world. Mm-hmm. And that is, and I'm going to transition now to John because that's part of the question of that controversial line you're talking about. I assume you were talking about, I am the way, the truth, and Mm -hmm. the life. And the question is, what is the way? What is Christ's way? Right. That's a very important, what does that mean? Is is I am the way mean, uh, do you know the way to San Jose? This is how you (laughs) follow along. Do you go through Christ? Or do you follow Christ? Yeah, that's it. And is following Christ a way, the truth, and the life? Mm-hmm. Not you go through him and then you get to go to heaven and thank you, Jesus. Or is it take up your cross and follow Jesus on the way mm-hmm. of the cross? So That's it. Yes, man, uh, I mention it as controversial. There are a considerable number of folks in the tradition in which I was formed that really want to use this verse exclusively, right? Hey, if you don't come to Jesus, in parentheses, the way we believe you have to come to Jesus, you know, say these words, then you're just doomed. There's just not any other way. I want to back up a little bit, and I used this last week uh, uh, with my folks when we were doing the Good Shepherd passage, and we mentioned on last week's show, a little confusing in that Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and he also says, I'm the gate, right, to the sheepfold. And you're like, well, is he a shepherd? Is he a gate? If you back off and look at John, the way the gospel is written, John places within these stories and even sayings by Jesus, lots of images, metaphors, analogies. And so Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the way, so on and so forth. All of those give us something of this experience the church had of Jesus. None of those metaphors can be uh, complete, you can't get everything by just using one of them exclusively, which is what I, where I've come to have a little bit of a beef with some of my more conservative friends who say, yep, see, but John fourteen six says, yeah. <laughs> and then you're back into the Bible said, no, that's what that verse says. But then to kind of back off and say, and every analogy breaks down eventually. So 
let's just back off and take the whole picture and we we get more of an idea of who Jesus is who would be with God actually indescribable completely with our words there's no way we can capture everything about who Jesus is that's um, the end of my that's the end of my sort of semi rant on this topic I, I, re- I remember when we were uh we were in Nashville there was uh I think it was your former tradition there was a bumper sticker that said something put out and a lot of people had it that said something like the Bible says it I believe it that settles it right and down the down the West End Avenue from where my church was and closer down to where yours was uh, in that general neighborhood, there was a reform Jewish temple that put out a uh, bumper sticker that said, the Bible says that I believe it. And then it had a picture that was reminiscent of Joan Rivers. This was a talk show person at that time. And mm-hmm. she always have said, can we talk? Yeah. And it had, yeah. I believe it, God. The, the Bible says that I believe it. And then it has this image can of a talk? person with their hands out going, can we talk? Yeah, there's a lot to discuss. And that's what <laughs> we're saying. Like Can we talk about yeah. this? And that's the important thing is talking and letting the spirit come within us and say, yeah. what does this image say to us today? Mm-hmm. Not well, how I does will... it exclude, how does it make me feel better about me and exclude you? Yeah. I will kick the other semi-controversial verse in this passage, especially when lifted out of its context to you in verse 14. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll rely on your commentary as we work through (laughs) this. I'll do my best. All right. Um, This is a part of the chapter 13, 31 through chapter 17, 26, known as the farewell discourses. They took place after the meal. The, the the last meal Christ had with his disciples and before they left to go to the garden. And it was to the disciples, to the church, not to the crowd. If you mm. work through the Gospels, you have to pay attention to who he's talking to. And often he's talking to the disciples. And then he's talking to the 12 sometimes, and he's talking to the church. And here he's talking to those gathered for this meal. So these are to the church. And as John is writing this, these are to the church, the people who have followed Christ. Not, And he is saying, trying to assure people, what does it mean to be the church in a space when Christ is not, Jesus isn't here? Mm-hmm. Now, the original audience for these, as John portrays it, would be people who are still a little confused about what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> what did he mean? He's leaving. Oh, I, you know, he had mm-hmm. given all these signals, but they weren't really clear. And he's talking to them about what, not what's going to happen to Jesus. None of this is about what's about to happen to Jesus. Right. Even though he's the one who's going to die by the next day. Right. This is about what's going to happen to Jesus' followers Mm -hmm. in the midst of trouble for himself. His way was to care for what was going to happen to those whom he loved. And he is full of promises with commissions, not commands, I would call them commissions. Mm -hmm. And he is promising Three things 
He's promising, first of all, an abiding place. Um, many mansions, many hmm. rooms. There was an old gospel hymn, what I just want a little cabin in the corner of heaven or something. <laughs> of glory land. Of glory land, you know. Yeah. We tried different ways, but this, I go to prepare an abiding place, which implies... Um, trusting an ongoing relationship. It's not a hotel room. I don't have a big hotel and there. I'm sure I can make a reservation for you. It may be the, <laughs> the, the room down by the elevator. Yeah. But as a place, no, this is, this is not that it is. I go to prepare a relationship with God for you. Ooh, yeah. An ongoing eternal relationship, abiding. You and that's this sense in John always with abiding. I'm in God, God's in me. Jesus is always about I and the Father, we abide in each other, and we're invited into that abiding relationship, being in that place. He promises that. The second thing is promised is a sure and clear way to God. Talks about you have not seen God, but you have seen Jesus. You have yeah. seen me. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen me, you have seen God. Mm-hmm. Then he has that I am, which echoes the the the, the holy name, I am mm-hmm. that I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the question, as you alluded, as we talked about a little bit, is the exclusiveness and what does that mean? Do you have to accept Jesus as your personal Savior and how does that work and all that? I think what's what's really important here is what was Jesus' way? Hmm, That's it. And what was Jesus' truth? Mm -hmm. And what was Jesus' life? Well, Jesus' way was the way of love and grace, acceptance of others. Jesus' truth was that everyone is a precious child of God. Mm -hmm. That makes us all brothers and sisters in God, in Christ. And Jesus' life, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus' life was lived and service of the other, as Bonhoeffer put it, Christ, the man for others. Mm-hmm. And not in a subservient, codependent kind of way, but in a way of saying, my life is about giving up my life for the sake right. of others. Right. So what he's saying to us is, to me, he is saying, you want to know God? You will know God by following this way. Because you'll quit worrying about looking for you, finding God exclusive of the work, you know, anything else. It's not about you. That's ultimately what you learn. It's not about you. As you follow Jesus' way, learn Jesus' truth. Live, live as close as you can Jesus' life. Live Jesus' life, yeah. You'll wake up one day and say, oh. Here we are. Here we are. There's God. <laughs> I love it. The yeah. way, the truth, and the life. And the mm-hmm. third thing he promises 
and invites is the power to continue Jesus' work. That Jesus' work doesn't end in Jesus' death. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's important to note two kind of things here. One is in verses 13 and 14, that's our good old plural you. How many people have taken this? If I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if in my name you ask me for anything. Well, first of all, it's y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Or you guys, or you all, or however mm-hmm. you want to make sure you understand that's a plural mm-hmm. you. And, and also in 12, I tell y'all, who well, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, will do better works than these because I am going to the Father. Yeah. And all of that implies, as you say, that people say, well, blab it, grab it is what we used to joke about. <laughs> yeah. And if you ask for it, if you just lay Jesus' name on it, that way, yeah. this is, you know, I, I don't know enough about video games, but there's some kind of secret shortcuts that they share with each other. Do you oh, know what yeah. I'm talking about? You know, I know what you're get, talking about. How do you mm-hmm. jump through here? And what's if you could only find the cheat codes the cheat codes. that Jesus has left for us, yes. Jesus, asking in Jesus' name is not a cheat code, okay? <laughs> To get what you want. And and it's been lifted up that way. So what is he meaning? Well, first of all, I think the asking is connected to the work. Okay? The asking is connected directly to verse 12. It's the same long, it's not the same long sentence. There's a period in English, but I think it's the same thought. That Mm -hmm. you will continue the work. And the word, Jesus' work was power. Did you notice how often Jesus was in prayer? Mm. Off on the mountain, always asking, yeah. always talking, always directly mm-hmm. relating to God, to the Father. And so the issue is here, if you're doing the work and if it's about the work and if it's what I've work I've called you to, I will help you in the work. That may doesn't mean, you know, we really want a new three billion million dollar impressive building in the richest suburbs in this town so we'll attract all of these other middle class people to come and upper class people. That's not what <laughs> that means. If we ask for it, I'll give it. But if it's about how do we deal with this missional priority? Yeah. Be it homelessness Mm. Poverty, how do we reach out to those in need? Mental health awareness, you know, I can kind of start mm-hmm. lining them up. Yeah. And if it's that that you're about, and it looks overwhelming, and you're about to say, I can't do anything about it. If you're about to be Paul standing there holding the coats hmm. while everybody is stoning the oppressed because you don't think you can do anything, that's when, as a community, y'all... Mm-hmm. You asked right. for help. And as St. Francis, our, the current Pope, says, first you pray for food, then you feed the hungry. That's how prayer works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, prayer and prayer, uh, prayer and work are connected. Yeah. 
and Christ promises presence mm-hmm. and power through prayer. That makes a connection that I'm afraid we have missed by and large between verse 14, 13 and 14, and back up at verse 6 about this way, truth, and life. Yep. Okay, this asking in Jesus' name should be more connected to some consideration. And what is Jesus' way? What is Jesus' truth? What is Jesus' life? Where was Jesus uh, as he walked the highways and the byways? Where did he spend his time? What was he doing? It's likely that if I'm going to ask in Jesus' name, it's going to be to fulfill those kinds of uh, objectives and activities And this one who has come to uh, save the lost and heal the sick because those who are well have no need of a physician and so on and so forth. A little more consideration, folks, a little more consideration rather than blithely tossing these uh, passages off or more likely just these lines off. How often have have we reduced following Jesus to the occasional one-liner, and, and right? To be, to be yeah. honest, yeah. To be honest, most of our—I would assume—most of the people who listen to us are not that blabbit, grabbit, prosperity gospel type people who would take it in those terms. But the unfortunate thing would be, so they said, "Well, I wouldn't ask for you know." They don't ask for anything. Hmm. You know, if some people have too much confidence in the power of prayer to get them a new Cadillac or whatever it is that they want, many of the rest of us don't have enough confidence in the power of prayer Mm. to help us do the ministry we're called to do. Yeah. Lord, would you please, in Christ's name, help me to reach out to the 400 unhoused persons in my neighborhood. That's a big ask to do something significant in the lives of 400 people or, you know, fill in the blank, to... Uh, bring, Lord, your grace and your healing to the minds and the souls trapped in the psych ward uh, there at the hospital or another place. Uh, there are just so many ways where, yeah, if we really stop thinking about what the Jesus way and the yeah. Jesus life really is, what's the real truth of why Christ has come to be God with us? It would change our perspectives on then asking in it, Jesus' it, it name. Helps, it helps us keep going because we quit thinking that, you know, if we remember to pray and remember that it's in, in imitation of Christ and pray to God about it and through Christ, mm-hmm. then uh, we stop saying, I just can't do it or it's too much or it's all up to me uh, humanly. And, you know, a lot of things that need to happen aren't humanly possible. Yeah. And yeah. it keeps a bit of humility and a little bit of in ability to keep going. Got yeah. a couple of uh, stories uh, I wanted to add at the end here. Mm-hmm. One is, um, there was a Lutheran pastor. His name was Timothy Sims. And I remember him telling the story, and I honestly cannot remember if it was he was the chaplain in the story, or he had heard it from another chaplain. He was yeah. in Vietnam as a chaplain during the mm-hmm. Vietnam War. So whoever the chaplain was, um, young soldier, just in country, a couple of weeks, 
uh, 18, 19 years old, was supposed to go on his first jungle patrol. He was absolutely terrified. He knew the statistics. He knew most of the people that got killed got killed early because they didn't know what they were doing. And he was absolutely terrified. And what he wanted was um, he wanted the chaplain to file paperwork to keep him from going, that he was psychologically ill. You know, anything he could think of, he'd just do something. Mm -hmm. And then the the chaplain told him, basically, uh, if I tried to do that for everybody who was scared, (laughs) nobody would go. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't work that way. And I can't keep you from having to go. And then he said, but what I can do is I can go with you. Hmm. And um, chaplains um, didn't carry weapons. Right. Were clearly marked on their insignia, helmets, et cetera, as chaplains. And the Viet Cong were, were known to target chaplains. They thought it would hurt the morale of the people of the soldiers for chaplains to be killed. Right. So it was dangerous for anybody and more dangerous for the chaplain. And he went with him. They both came back a lot, but that line, I can't keep you from going, but I can go with you. Hmm. And Christ, God in Christ cannot prevent us from going through life full of difficulties, dangers, snares, hidden tra- hidden traumas, hidden nets. But the promise is he's going with us. Uh, the second story is less dramatic, but <laughs> fascinating to me. And uh, Yeah. My, one of my early parishes, it wasn't exactly my first, but it was the one I served four of my five years as a Methodist minister, a little three-point circuit. And there were this woman, she was the widow of the man involved, Bill, I'll call him. And the widow, uh, Bill's widow lived with Bill's sister, uh, a spinster. They lived in this little, this house. There used to be a country store in the yard there. And it was a stone house and nice house. And where the pull off, where they used to be the store, you know, these country stores, they used to just sort of, mm-hmm. didn't really have parking. You just raveled lot, call off right. near there was the most astounding little place. It was uh, a little village of stone and concrete and junk. I'll come back to that in a minute. Village. And it was labeled, Lest We Forget. And it had been Bill's hobby. He built this extensive, the houses were about a little bit bigger than your basic dollhouse. Hmm. It was all country, North Carolina, Flint kind of stone rock and concrete and little pieces of glass. It was all kind of stuff you'd have thrown away as junk. And he had turned um, a shell oil can into a sign for his shell gas station. And mm-hmm. there was the church. <laughs> and, you know, you'd look at it and, oh, those windows are Coke bottle bottoms down the side yeah. there. <laughs> Fascinating and calming. And it was amazing. What was interesting, I went, you know, I went to visit them. I was there four years. I went there a lot. 
Mm-hmm. And I'd, my family came to visit me, and I took my mom and my daddy and people to see it. And every time I drove by there on my way, I went by there every day, most days, because it was on my route down to Durham to Duke. So I went by it four or five times a week during the school year, and as often I saw it. And there's almost always, particularly in the afternoon, somebody there. Uh, license plates from all over. Mm-hmm. But the impression, what was interesting, no money changed hands. There were no knickknacks for sale. There was no sign out, see the, you know, see Rock mm-hmm. City, you know, all over the yeah. south. You see signs, <laughs> see Rock City. There were no signs invited. It was just yeah. word of mouth. And people came, and it was a calming kind of experience. It was a spiritual experience in a strange kind of way. Mm-hmm. I never really named it. I just experienced it. And sometimes I would stop. There's nobody there. And I'd come and I'd sit on the wall and look at the village and this little label, mm-hmm. Lest We Forget. And it was kind of that area as a when he was a kid. He had little cars. I think he had, they were all rusty. <laughs> like he'd got them out of a junkyard. And it was just a very quieting kind of spiritual experience. And I was thinking about the stones that were rejected hmm. built into a spiritual house. Wow. Pretty good. Amen Pretty and good. amen. Yeah. Tune in next time, children, for <laughs> Papa Delmer's Story Hour, where you too can reminisce, be uplifted, and generally have a good time. Above, I make no bones about it. I have said often, and will say it any time I can, you're just one of the best storytellers I know. And uh, like your, uh, I think you said your sister's comment years ago from letters and family stories, and she said, well, I, I, I knew all those stories. I just never knew they meant anything. <laughs> and uh, I like how you bring us around to that. We'll be back next time, folks. We're getting ready to wrap up the season of Easter. Uh, certainly, we're heading toward the Ascension and the Day of Pentecost. Lots of good stuff coming up. But, uh, Bubba, I don't reckon there's much else for us to do today other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is our Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps performed by half.cool. We go out today with I've Got a Mansion Just Over the Hilltop, performed by the Whites and written by the great gospel songwriter Ira Stanfield. And a little gold But in that city Where the ransoms will shine I want a gold Rock, my 
my pillow a stone And though I find me No permanent dwelling I know he'll give me A mansion my own I've got a mansion Just over the Just a pilgrim in search of us. 